0: the gospel according to Luke chapter 10. Once you get it, please let me know. All right. All right. We'll be reading from the ESV. Pray for my allergies because they're killing me. (laughs) Let's go ahead and start at verse 25. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself and he said to him you have answered correctly do this and you will live but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus who is my neighbor Jesus replied a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell among robbers He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three? Do you think provided, I'm sorry, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would anoint me to preach the Bible. I pray that you would open up the minds and hearts of the listeners that we can understand the biblical text that we can apply it to our life, that we might be transformed. Give us illumination now to be able to see things through the proper lens so that we can interpret your word and understand it and apply it correctly. Be glorified in this time and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> there are uh, a lot of different uh core doctrines in the Christian faith. Uh, all doctrines are not created equally. Are y'all getting feedback or is that just me? It's a little bit. It's a little, bit. A little bit of feedback. Check turn that off a little bit. long as y'all can hear me, I will get to hear myself. <laughs> There's many core doctrines in the Christian faith um, that are essential to being a Christian, which means that if you don't understand it, if you don't have an understanding or any type of comprehension of it, it's going to um, have an impact, a negative impact on your walk at some point in time. And, and, and because of these. Um, These doctrines are often discussed in the academic world when we get to the local church. Sometimes those who are entrusted with teaching and preaching, they tend to protect and guard the congregations from things that they think are too theologically heavy. But we're really not supposed to do that. We're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God, no matter what level it, it, it is on. I teach the same thing to my children. So so I want to talk about some doctrines today because they are very, very key. The first one I want to talk about is a doctrine called the hypostatic union. the hypostatic union what is that Uh, the word hypostatic comes from the Greek word hypostasis uh, and, and it's from which we get our English word nature from The word union, self-explanatory, means to be one or to be united together with something else. But this word hypostasis, uh, we we first see it in the book of Hebrews chapter one, verse two, when speaking of Jesus, uh, it says that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his hypostasis, his nature. What that scripture means is that Jesus and his father are one in essence with each other. They are equal to each other. They are both of the same eternal stock. You can't trace their origins. They are one in being, although they are distinct in person. Say hypostasis. hypostasis. This concept of hypostasis is brought about by another doctrine that we call the doctrine of the incarnation. The doctrine of the incarnation teaches that uh, Jesus, who was always God, at a point in time took on a human body. We can read about this most specifically in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is a nickname for Jesus. And then it says, The Word was with God, which means that he is in some sense distinct from the Father. But then the next phrase says, And the Word was God, which means that he's hypostasis. He's one with God. God. So we know from that verse that through all eternity this eternal word was distinct from God in person because there's three co-equal, co-eternal persons in the trinity, but they're still one in nature. They share the same essence. But when you read John chapter 1, our worlds are turned upside down when you stick to about the 14th verse because it says, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as that of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It says that the word, who is Jesus, became flesh. Now when it says he became flesh, it's saying that he took on a human body. But what it's not saying is that Jesus, who was God from all eternity... Took on a human body and then stopped being God. Come on. Talk about that, it. That's not what it's saying. He's saying Jesus, who was God throughout all of eternity, eternity took on a human body without ceasing to be God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk he about added it. a human nature, but he did not cease to lose the nature he had before he added the human nature. Talk about a theologian it. Theologians such as Athanasius of, of North Africa, also known as the Black Dwarf, because he was short. And stature, but he was dark-complected from the, you know, Juneteenth weekend. I gotta put on for the afternoon real quick. Paul, the black, woman, uh-huh. one of the earliest black theologians in the Christian church. He fought against the Arians who used to deny the deity of Christ. Yes. So, what Athanasius did, he walked into the council by N- of Nicaea with all the bishops and he said, No, Jesus is homoousios. Which means that he is one of the same substance as his father. He says as far back as you can trace the father, you can trace the son. He's homoousios. We call this the hypostatic union and it is brought about by the incarnation. When God shook up the world by becoming man without ceasing to be God. Well, what does the union part speak of? Here's what the hypostatic union is. It is when God Becomes man, but it is the divine nature being united with the human nature in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So so it's not 50% God and 50% man. No, it's a hundred percent God go! united together with a hundred percent man, therefore resulting in the hypostatic union, which is why we call him. The God man, everybody, with me. This is the doctrine of the incarnation. You got to understand this because it's not just an academic, intellectually stimulating event, it's something that if we fully grasp it, it will shake up the way we view the world and how we live. Amen. That's good. But what do you mean by that? Because it says that the word became flesh and dwelt. Among us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Yes. This means that God, who was perfect in all his ways, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Lamb without spot nor blemish, uh-huh. the one in whom there is perfect light and no darkness at all, uh-huh. the one who was perfectly free from sinfulness, ungodliness, wickedness, and all evil, yeah. entered into the world of unbelievers and walked amongst them. Yeah. Thank you, God. Yeah. Thank you. He didn't avoid sinners. He lived with them. He broke bread with them. He ate with them. He sat with them. He talked to them. He reached out to them. He served those who hated him. He entered into this world by way of his incarnation. And he didn't avoid sinners, he engaged with them every day. It is from this foundation that we get our Christian philosophy of incarnational living. Yes. Yeah, right what is that? The same way that God was incarnated in a man and dwelt among the people without avoiding them, but while simultaneously being fully committed to God. Mm-hmm yet simultaneously not becoming stained by the world yeah. yet simultaneously still graciously engaging them in relationship yeah. we the church are expected to do the same Absolutely. we are supposed to incarnate ourselves into the world of sinners we are not supposed to be Christian separatists come on, come on, come on. they stay over there we stay over here you I'm going do me that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is incarnational living. I gotta enter into the world of the sinner. And I gotta eat with them. I gotta talk to them. I gotta speak with them. I gotta reach out to them. I gotta serve them. Yes. Come on. Because we are following the example of Jesus, who is our perfect example. Say incarnation. The question is this. How is it that Jesus was able to live his life fully devoted to God, Mm -hmm. but simultaneously not avoiding the people? It's because Jesus mastered something that we're about to talk about for the next several weeks. We're about to go into a long series called uh, How to Lovingly Engage Your Unbelieving Neighbor. Many of us... I Many of us aren't quiet about our faith because we don't love the Lord or because we don't want to serve Him or because we don't believe in the scriptures. We just don't know what to do. Talk about it. So what we're going to do in this series, I'm going to teach you what to do. Let's go. And then as a church, we're going to get on board on this thing together. We're going to turn the seal. We're going to learn how to lovingly engage our neighbor. How, how do you engage a sexually immoral neighbor? How do you engage your neighbor who can't stop drinking? How do you engage your neighbor who's living with somebody they're not married to? How do you engage your neighbor who's an atheist? How do you engage your neighbor who's living in a cult? We're going to walk through different scenarios, and we're going to go to the scriptures and figure out how are we to navigate this world. But today in our first foundational and fundamental message, we got to get this principle, and it revolves around the concept of love. If we want to succeed in incarnation of living the way Jesus did, we got to master this thing called love the way he did. We're going to learn this in Luke chapter 10 as we begin our message today titled love is not optional. Let's pick it up in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer. Stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Mm. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Mm. Do this and you will live. Mm. There is a lot there. Number one, it says that he was talking to a lawyer. Mm-hmm. When it says lawyer, don't read that like a 21st century American and think attorney. <laughs> <laughs> You're not thinking Johnny Cochran. He's not thinking the guy in a suit who's standing next to you on trial. That's not what he's talking about. When he used the term lawyer, he's talking about specifically. One who is an expert in the Mosaic law. Oh, that's good. One who is a scholar in the law of Moses, also known as the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible that was penned by Moses. This guy is an expert in Old Testament is who he's dealing with. He's dealing with what would be likened to a Hebrew scholar at a seminary somewhere. And and this lawyer, this scholar, this expert stood up and said, teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, at first glance, Uh it looks like he has a legitimate concern. He want to know about his soul, right? He want to know, what must I do to be saved, good teacher? (laughs) But if you look at it carefully, verse 25, it says, he stood up to put him to the test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This man already thinks he's in right standing with God. He's trying to trap Jesus up in something that he might say. He's trying to most likely prove that Jesus is somehow teaching something contrary to the law of Moses. So he says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knows his motives. So look at how he answers in verse 26. He says, What is written in your law, you lawyer? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're an expert in the law, right? I know what you're trying to do. You tell me what the law says, and I'll let you know if I agree or not. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He answers with two scriptural quotations from the Torah. The first one is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. The second one is from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Uh Now, for those of us who believe in justification by faith alone, Uh (laughs) for those of us who believe that salvation cannot be merited by good deeds, Uh Jesus' response should be a little concerning for us. Uh Because the man said, what I got to do to be saved, and Jesus pointed them to the law. Mm. Mm. Now that don't sit well with my theology. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That don't sit well with everything you've heard me teach since we've been a church. Talk yeah. about it. Because uh, does not Paul say in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine, we are saved by grace through faith? Not of any works, so that no man can boast. Don't the scriptures did he not say in Galatians chapter 2 that if Christ, I'm sorry, he says that if righteousness could be attained by the works of the law, then Christ died needlessly. Does not the scripture teach that salvation cannot be merited by good deeds? did Paul say in Philippians 3 that I got a righteousness that is not according to my own based on the law, but a righteousness that I got on the basis of faith in Jesus? Yes, Lord. Don't we teach God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever should believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life? Don't we teach that? Yes, Lord. Yes, sir. But Jesus sounds like He's saying you got to look to the law. Is Jesus in opposition with Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers? We've got to do a little investigating to see what's going on here. First principle we need to understand is this. In ancient times, uh-huh. the ancient Israelites in their Bible, they didn't have what we call chapter breaks yeah. All right. and verse distinctions. Uh-huh. So you know how we could put a verse in isolation on the screen and say, look at verse yeah. 27. Right. Yeah. Well, you couldn't do that back then. You had an ancient scroll that had to be rolled out. Right. Right. There's no chapter breaks. There's no subtitles, and there's no verse distinctions. So, when you look at a passage, you gotta look at it in its entirety, not cherry pick it. So, the lawyer quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. But when he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, he would have understood that there's also a Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Which means that he's not trying to interpret verse 5 apart from verse 4 because he sees it as one unit Okay. so what does verse 4 say <laughs> let's let Jesus answer that question let's get uh, Mark chapter 12 on the screen let's look at how Jesus saw this verse 28 look at what it says and one of the scribes came and heard them disputing with one another And seeing that he answered them well Asked him Which commandment Is the most important Of all Okay Jesus answered The most important Is here O Israel Uh The Lord our God The Lord is one Now stop for a minute Mm -hmm. Now y'all tell me if I'm tripping The question is Greatest commandment. Uh Jesus does not start with Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Uh He starts with Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Uh But he includes it in the commandment to love God. But what does it say in verse 4? It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one we got the word Lord there because we're looking at the the Greek translation or the English translation from the Greek but if you're looking at it in Hebrew it's not going to say Lord it's going to say here oh Israel Yahweh our God his personal name Yahweh is one in other words Yahweh is the name of God he is God and he's one meaning that he alone is all God by himself but notice it says Yahweh is our God, which means that they are claiming for themselves that this person, this divine being called Yahweh is not only the only one and true God, he's personally our God. This is a statement of faith. He's not bypassing faith to get to commandments because before you get to verse five, you got to acknowledge who God is. That's good. And you gotta acknowledge that ain't nobody else like Him. the yes, Lord. Now, once He got that out the way, look at what He says next. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. But He doesn't make them two different commandments. Verse four. Hero Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. It's a part of the same commandment of love the Lord your God with all that is within you. Why? Because within that one commandment, there is the concept of faith and love for God. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. To believe in God is to love Him. That's right. And to love God is to believe in Him. Yes, you cannot love a God that you don't believe in. So faith is implied in the commandment to love God. Yes, so he's not yes, saying don't keep a bunch of works and do keep a bunch of commandments. He's saying before you do anything else love God Yeah, because that is almost the equivalent of faith. Amen. We even see this in the New Testament in verses like uh, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love, love God. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard Nor has there entered into the heart of a man All that God has prepared for those who Love him, love him. So we see it even in the scriptures This love for God is, is foundational Because it includes faith yeah. Now let's go back to Luke With that understanding And let's read it again Verse 27 And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God With all your heart and with all your soul And with all your strength with all your mind now what does it mean to love God we talked about the faith aspect and how it's all inclusive but what does it actually mean when the Bible says we're supposed to love God because that's kind of we can be honest that's a bit of um, cliche right now that's a Christianese term I love God I, I love the Lord but what does it actually mean very simple the Hebrew basically means to, number one, have affection. But to have affection, to, 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 to be fond of someone, to like someone, is to have affection, but it's an affection that leads to loyalty. Mm-hmm. That's good. It is to have unwavering allegiance to him. That means you don't put nothing else before him. That means you don't put no other God before him that means that whatever God stands on we stand on, that means that whatever God says we say, that means that whatever God requires we require our total allegiance is unto him, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 10 verse 37 he says anybody who loves mother, father brother or sisters more than me is not worthy of me Mm -hmm. he said that unwavering love, devotion and commitment only deserves is deserving from me let me give you an example so I love my wife of almost 12 years Woo! Woo! I have affection For Jonah mm-hmm. So I want to hug her I want to hold her hand I want to talk to her I like being in her presence But since I have this affection for her And I like her And I love her Guess what else I got to do Allegiance is to her <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. I'm committed to her Yeah yeah. I'm loyal to her. Amen. So it's not an affection that's by itself. It's an affection that says ain't checking for no other woman. Let's go. Because my loyalty on, and my man. allegiance is to you. Let's go. Yeah. We're supposed to. To God, but it's not just butterflies in the stomach, it ain't just crying tears of joy when you worship. It's an allegiance that no matter what stands before me, I'm not choosing that over you. I don't care if I make a lot of money, I'm not choosing the money over you. I don't care if the spouse tells me to disobey you. i go you over the spouse, whatever. Yes, Lord. Our unwavering devotion belongs unto God. Let me tell you this. No human being on this earth deserves that level of loyalty. No pastor, no leader, no spouse, no child, no relative, no boss, nobody but God alone. Yes, Lord. He says, I want your allegiance. That's what it means to love me. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So the lawyer says, and You got to love God with all that's in you. I know what that means. You got to be a Lord. You got to be committed to Him. You got to have allegiance to Him. Right? However, it's not the only thing He says. He also says you got to love neighbor as yourself. Isn't it interesting? that when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, the first commandment was love God he said the second greatest commandment Uh is love neighbor Mm -hmm. why does he put love for God first? because of the allegiance thing if I know that my allegiance is to God Uh then I don't have to worry about stepping over God for the sake of my neighbor so he makes sure we understand the first commandment first, right? So what does this tell us? Our love for our neighbor is a byproduct of our love for God. Yes, yes it is. Yes, it is. love for God has to be the foundation of incarnational living. Yes. If you don't love God and you're trying to do incarnational living, you will be back in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a So whatever you say, I'm not gonna tie up this line too close where I end up looking more like the world than I do kingdom. Yeah. So he says, your love for me must come first. Yes, yes Lord. Yes. Sir. But he does say you gotta love neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yes, Lord. That verse is taken from Leviticus 19 and 18, and context is talking about your fellow Israelite. Uh-huh. So neighbor in that verse that was quoted. Specifically, is talking about your fellow brethren, those who are of the community of Israel, those who are part of the Mosaic Covenant. He says, love them in the book of Leviticus, right? And when he says love them, what he means is he gives a bunch of examples. He says, don't hold a grudge against them. Yeah. He says, don't lie on them. He says, don't steal from them. Don't do any harm to your neighbor because you're supposed to love them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The question is, who is a neighbor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. <laughs> because when you read verse 28, it says, Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself said, Who is my neighbor? Here's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. The lawyer, when he reads Leviticus 19, he's only thinking about those who agree with him. He's saying loving my neighbor is loving my fellow Israelite. So when he asked Jesus, did I, did I get it right? And he hears Jesus say, you answered correctly. He's like, ah, okay, but let me just make sure he don't have a different definition of neighbor than I do. And as I read this, I begin to think about something culturally that's true about us. We like to justify ourselves too when it comes to love for neighbor. Yep. Oh, man. Yep. Oh, man. Yep. My goodness. Help us. Uh-huh. If any of my brothers, I'm talking about biological brothers, will or down were to call me right now and say, let me hold a couple dollars. Whether I've got it or not, they're going to hold a couple dollars. I don't care if I got to go do a Don't ask to go get it. I'm going to get a couple dollars. If one of our relatives need a ride somewhere, we typically going to give them a ride. If, if one of them need a place to stay, we're going to let them move in. There are certain people in our life, and you know this is true, that there's some people that, that have a, a certain level of relationship with you that they can, like, come over unannounced. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all know how we be. Yeah. Like, some people, you ain't got to give a thing. You can show up. And some people come over my house. Listen, man, I ain't taking out no trash. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't clean. It's going to no smell like dirty diapers. It ain't cow, copping. it about to come through. Come on over. I ain't going to be no clean <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all know how we are. There's certain people who we give those types love them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so that tells me that our problem is not loving people. Mm. Mm. Woo, that's good. Our problem is loving the type of people that Jesus called us to love. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. If love was really the issue we wouldn't be loving nobody. Yeah. But it's not that we only love those who we want to love. We, we choose and we. Who's worthy of it But Jesus does not say Love your biological relative Like yourself wow. He says love your Neighbor wow. Like yourself Wow. So that means When I'm at the grocery store And I see Somebody struggling to Pay for their food We've all been in that situation. Somebody get their stuff rang up and they short, oh, I can't take that off. Can't take that off. Uh-huh. Instead of waiting for my brother to have a need, what if I just pull it out of my car? Oh, I got this for you. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Why is it that when it's 30 degrees out in Cleveland in a blizzard and we see that elderly woman at the bus stop holding all these bags, nothing in her says, Excuse me, ma'am. Do you need a ride? Wow. Wow. Can I I got a grandmother like you, and I wouldn't want her out here like this. Can I take you to wherever you go? Wow. When we see those who we call panhandlers, and yes, a lot of them are scam artists. I recognize that fully. But some people really have needs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if we just didn't make a habit out of this driving past? What if when our next door neighbor's trash gets blown all over the place because it's a strong wind outside, we don't say, glad it ain't mine. (laughs) Glad I put my lid on. (laughs) Y'all know how we do. (laughs) What if, you know, I'm at the playground and I see a bunch of eight-year-olds fighting with each other. What What if, instead of me saying, glad it ain't my kids, I actually go and try to break that fight up. Didn't Jesus say blessed are the peacemakers Why don't we think this way Mm -hmm. It's because we've missed out On this foundational principle Of love your neighbor As yourself Listen Loving God is a beautiful thing But the fact that Jesus put both of them here Shows me that our Christian faith is supposed to be transformative. My God. Our doctrine is supposed to be transformative, meaning that good doctrine is supposed to turn into good living. Yeah, wow. Come on. Good theology is supposed to be good ethics. Mm. Orthodoxy Orthodoxy is supposed to lead to orthopraxy. Let's go. Let's go. theology and doctrine and that you gotta believe this and gotta believe that, that we forget that there are people who don't agree with us who are still image bearers. And I believe doctrine. Y'all know how I roll. I believe in the exclusivity of Jesus that there is no way to God but by him. I believe in the inerrancy of the Bible that the scriptures are perfectly infallible and without error. I believe in the five solas of the Re- Reformation. Let's go. Sola fide, we are saved by faith alone. Sola Christos, we are saved in Christ alone. Sola gratia, we are saved by grace alone. Sola scriptoria, only the scriptures alone have binding authority. Sola deo gloria, we do it all for the glory of God alone. I believe in doctrine. I'm a Trinitarian of all Trinitarians, one God, co equal, co eternal persons. I believe all of that. But good doctrine that is divorced from good ethics is lacking something good. Yeah. Yeah. I believe God's trying to raise up people who got good doctrine. Stand on the word of God without compromise, but they got good ethics. Yeah. They're incarnated into the world so that they can share that good doctrine with the yes. yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Love God and love neighbor. Amen. Yes, Lord. A cliffhanger draw a little bit while ago I said who is your neighbor I didn't fully answer that question <laughs> verse 29 but desiring to justify himself he said to Jesus who is my neighbor Jesus responds with a story he says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him, and the next day he took two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back so in this story, he says a man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho right? If he's coming from Jerusalem, what Jesus is most likely saying is that he's a pilgrim. He's an Israelite, most likely, who's leaving Jerusalem, which is the capital city, and he's celebrating the festivals, which take place in Jerusalem once a year. So he's down there celebrating Pentecost and Passover and all those beautiful holidays, and after he's celebrating those holidays, he's going back to his home in Jericho, right? So he's most likely a devout, practicing Jew. But then he says he gets beat up by people. Yeah. And left half dead. And it says that a high priest. Now Jesus knows what he's doing by giving these labels. Yeah. Yeah. He says a high priest or a, a priest was going down the road and he saw him uh-huh. pass by on the other side. That I means that he crossed the street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't even wanna, I, I ain't seen nothing. I see then he says there was a Levite who did the same thing. Now priests were the religious leaders of Israel. These were the scholars in the Bible. They were responsible for bringing God and man together through sacrificial atonement of lamb, bulls, and goats. Mm -hmm. So they know the Bible. They got good doctrine. Uh But he passed by them. The Levites are the same way. These are devout people. The the Levites are the priestly line called the Kohanim. They they, they know better. That's Jesus' point. Uh, Yeah. So you got these Israelites Who won't even take care of their own Let me say that again You got these Israelites Who are devout leaders But won't take care Of their own community He ain't even got to the Samaritan part yet But he makes the point Talking to a Jew Y'all not even looking out for each other And you asking me about who's your neighbor. You think neighbor means fellow Israelite? What I'm trying to show you is you ain't even loving your fellow Israelite. We ain't got to the neighbor part yet. Let's go. Ain't not that a rebuke for us? How can we go around talking about loving neighbor when we don't love the community of believers? You can't love the church if you don't love the community of the church. Those who agree. Do there's no way you're loving a stranger. Ooh, come on. Ah, tells me, we got to take care of home first. <laughs> we got to learn what it is to forgive and to be gracious and to look out and to be loving for each other first. Amen. That's Lord. That's Lord. So they don't take care of each other. But then he says, this Samaritan pulls up. Now, who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans are believed to be part Israelite Part Babylonian. The issue with the Samaritans is that they believed, and to this day, believe that they are the true descendants of Israel. And that they have a unique right to the law of Moses. So, so they believed that Jerusalem, where the temple was, was not the proper place to worship God they believe it was supposed to take place at Mount Gerizim, which is in the land of Shechem in Israel. They didn't believe that Jerusalem was a rightful place. So when they see Jews worshipping in Jerusalem, they're looking at them with concern. They deny all the Old Testament except for the first five books. And the first five books that they have was an alteration. It's corrupt. They changed things and took things out to make it fit their theology. There's this heightened tension between Jews and Samaritans. And if you read the Gospels carefully, you'll notice it. Let me get John chapter four on the screen. Now this is a script. This is a passage we've all read, but look at it. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, Meaning we don't rock with them, they don't rock with us. Let's look at John chapter 8. This one is even more uh, violent. Jesus arguing with Jews. It says the Jews answered him. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Mm. Mm. Y'all know, they just use Samaritan like a cuss word. <laughs> they said not only do you got a demon, you got a Samaritan demon. like <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, you ain't, ain't nothing worse to us than a Samaritan, so that's what you are. <laughs> so what does that show us? Jews. Hate Samaritans and Samaritans hate Jews. That's why it's good to do historical analysis when you're reading the Bible. Now let's go back to Luke 10. Now the parable is going to hit different now. Mm-hmm. But it's the Samaritan that saw the man and helped him. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> That's wow. That's wow. The Jews didn't help the Jews. But the Samaritan, who's hated by the Jews, helped the Jews. Jesus just made the Samaritan, Israel's enemy, the hero of the story. To do what? To say, oh, you want to know who your neighbor is? Your neighbor is even those who you don't like. A Samaritan is the worst thing to you, a oh, lawyer? Then that's your neighbor then. Wow. them noisy neighbors who got the music on blast when you trying to sleep that's your neighbor wow. the ones who leave trash all out in the yard ain't cutting their lawn got junk all over the place kids be loud I'm just speaking for y'all ah. cause I ain't the only one that be thinking it yeah. <laughs> that's your neighbor yeah. y'all know how we got certain Walmarts we go to and certain Walmarts we avoid. It. i leave y'all alone. Y'all, y'all want to talk about it. <laughs> y'all want to talk about it. Some of us drive an extra 20 minutes to get to Walmart and we live five minutes away. We know why we do it. Some of us don't want to be bothered. Some of us want some assistance when I say, can I find the milk? Some of us don't want to walk over toys All in the same house I'll leave leave y'all alone That tells us We picking and choosing who our neighbor is I want to deal with those who easy to deal with what wow. if instead we start shopping at the jacked up Walmart on purpose because oh, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. there listen there's a reason why people act the way they act yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a story behind people's problems yeah, yeah. there are issues and pain and trauma that lead to people's actions so what if we go into the store on, and instead of avoiding them we say I see you got a real Somber mood today. You, you didn't smile at me once. You didn't say, Have a nice day. Can I pray for you? Come on. Anything you, you want to talk about something that's on your mind? What if we live like that? Wow. Wow. No. No, 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 no. Those who we don't stand, wow. who we don't want to be around, wow. oh we are intentional about loving them. But guess what else? It's so a Samaritan. Jews don't like Samaritans, right? Uh-huh. But Jesus made a priority to make the Samaritan the star. Uh, they don't believe the Bible the right way, because remember, they take parts of the Old Testament out. Uh-huh. They believe that all they hate Jews and they hate on everybody else. Uh-huh. So they got bad theology, uh-huh. they're hostile towards God's chosen people. Yet somehow they love a neighbor better than those who knew better. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wait a second. Wow. You mean to tell me a Samaritan who got a chopped up version of the Bible mm-hmm. who worshiping God in the mountain he said don't worship him at. You mean to tell me their ethics are better than mine and I know the Bible? Wow. Ow, Why is it That we're getting outshined by non Christians. Why are we letting unbelievers love neighbor better than we do? Wow, man. Wow. Talk about it. Wow. Why is it that at least three times out the week, I'm going to see Jehovah's Witnesses on this block, I'm going to see them on that block, and they're going to knock on my door? Oh, man. How come they're more passionate about sharing a false message than we are about sharing a true message? We getting outshine by unbelievers. Listen, the civil rights movement was birthed by Christians. Do the research. You take away the black church, ain't no civil rights movement. Come on, man. Not saying that there weren't other groups. Of course, you had Malcolm X and those who were of different religious persuasions. But at its core, we're talking about a Christian movement on the front lines of justice. Woo! Okay. Nowadays, nowadays in the church, if you try to stand on justice issues, they say you critical race theorist. Now if you try to stand on social justice issues They say you abandoning the gospel Since we bought into that Guess what we got now Since the church won't do it Now Black Lives Matter got to do it Come on man Not Black Lives Matter the sentiment Black Lives Matter the organization If you didn't know That's one of the most anti-bible Anti-Christ Anti-Christian organizations ever in this country Anti-family Anti-male more than almost any other organization in the world's history, uh, black organizations. organizations. Yeah, no. But we've left it to unbelievers. Oh my, goodness. Oh my goodness. To stand for social justice. And yes, I understand that everybody who get killed is not a legitimate case. I understand that. But when there are legitimate cases, is the church supposed to be on the front lines of it? Right. One of the most beautiful experiences I ever had. And some of you were there. It was in, man, was that the summer of 2020? I know it was in the heart of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it was when Ahmaud Arbery was murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't George, before George Floyd. Was it George Floyd? George Floyd? It was George Floyd. And and Calvin organized all these churches in different regions in Northeast Ohio yeah. Yeah. to find a place to march and to protest yeah. and to gather not only to call for justice, yeah. but to point people to the one who is the author of justice. Yes. Amen. That was beautiful to see that. I wish I had the pictures there. I would have put them up on the screen. But it was beautiful because the whole time I'm thinking, this is what the church is supposed to be doing. We shouldn't need no BLM to do that. If they do it, they're going to tell you, stand for justice, but don't stand for family. They're going to wow. say, stand for justice, but don't stand for Christ. Yeah, come on. You don't want to support no organization like that. Yeah. Come on. But we're supposed to be doing it. Come, come, on. come on. We don't need no Planned Parenthood. Come on, come on. The church should be providing alternatives yeah. for abortion, trying to take in children who have yeah. needs, yeah. trying to counsel young mothers. That's the church's job. That's yes, yours. But well, we left with the secular organizations So now what they doing? Killing all these children Oh man we supposed to be on the front lines Oh yes, Lord. yes. yes. Don't need these other organizations yes. to do that Yes Lord Well Brian you thinking big picture Let's think small picture Let's just take baby steps Pick up our neighbor's trash Hello, Hello. On, Hello. Prayerfully share the gospel with your next door neighbor That's it Ask the stranger if they need prayer. Buy somebody's groceries. These are the small things we can do today if we wanted to. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus says, love neighbor like the Samaritan did. A couple more points. We're going to let you go and enjoy your Father's Day. That's cool. Look at how we did it. Verse 33, but the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Loving your neighbor begins with compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. If we don't view people with compassion, we'll never help them. The word compassion, it, it literally means to have sympathy. Yeah. It's to see somebody and to feel bad for their situation. It is to hurt with them. Yeah. It is to weep with those who weep says he had compassion on him because he's in a bad situation. But if you read verse 33 carefully, it says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. Came to where he was. Verse 34, he went to him. The loving your neighbor mandate is not waiting for somebody to come to us. It's being proactive and going to them When they come to us Yes, be prepared But we should be going to them He bound up his wounds Poured oil and wine set him on his own animal Look, he's sharing possessions This car ain't just my car today It's your car because I'm going to take you where you need to go (sighs) Got him a hotel for the night And then he tells them Take care of him Whatever more you spend, I will pay. He invested his financial resources to help neighbor. Yeah. Verse 36 says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Not the one who felt compassion. compassion. Mm. It ain't do nothing with it. Yeah. All of us feel bad when we see bad stuff. Yeah. He says, But the one who acted on it. He showed him, he displayed He demonstrated mercy Jesus said You go See it? Don't come, you go And do likewise That last sentence means what? (laughs) And it's a choice Loving our neighbors Is a choice he didn't say it's automatic because you love God, because you got these high priests who had good Bible. So he says you gotta make a choice to love God, and outflowing from your love for God should be this love for neighbor is a choice. Here's what we gotta do, y'all. We gotta make it up in our minds. Yeah that we're gonna love our neighbor, no matter how difficult they are. <laughs> no matter how annoying they are, no matter how unlovable we think they may be, these are fellow image bearers. And we're called to love them. And for the rest of this series, we're going to give specific scenarios on certain types of neighbors and how to engage with them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your word is so powerful and so true it's so relevant, even today 2,000 years later yeah. we thank you for it we pray that all of our endeavors and all of our plans that we're going to have in our individual life and corporately as a church we pray that they succeed in as much as we do them according to your will and into your word remove all that anxiety we have about loving our neighbor. I pray for the quiet person. I pray for the introvert. I pray for the the extrovert who feels like they just don't have enough knowledge or enough information. I pray for all those different things that could hinder us from loving our neighbors. God, through your Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do this work? Lord, the communities where we live got a lot of issues a lot of things going on that need work Lord would you use Living Stones Church to be light and darkness God in our individual lives we have next door neighbors we have cities and communities we live in where people don't know you people are lost people have different religious persuasions would you use us to share Christ with them, to love them, to do good to them, that they might experience the love of God and be saved. Transform our thinking, our worldview, our mentality. Help us to not compromise the Bible, but help us to not compromise loving our neighbors. Father, you said love God and neighbor, so that tells me that it's possible to do both without compromising the other. That means that we can love our neighbor and still love you and be devoted to you and not compromise your word, and we can love neighbor without being mean. Help us to walk in that tension and to do it graciously. And we'll be mindful to give your name all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen, amen. Amen.